Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Patrick Harris lost both of his parents to cancer in 2022. His father passed January 6th and his mother more recently on August 16th. He has launched Life Approach as a way to raise funds for cancer research and awareness. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your and your parents' story. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So would you take us back? First of all, would you tell people how old you are for some context and um, and take us back to where it started, whether it was with your mother or your father? So I am 27. I uh, live in San Antonio, Texas. I am married. I have two little ones. And um, I pretty much grew up here. Um, and so last year in 2021, my mom had returned home from a uh, vacation she did where she went like swimming with the whale sharks and she was always very, very adventurous. And so she had come home and we were talking about the trip. She's showing us pictures and it, she kind of made a joke. She goes, yeah, I, I think I have lung cancer or something because I always feel like I'm out of breath. And it was kind of an odd joke, you know, yeah. um, nobody really thought anything of it. And so she goes, I'll see, I have a checkup in like two weeks. So I'm going to tell my doctor about it. How and long so, has she been out of breath? Do you know? You know, when she got diagnosed, we started looking back and there were other signs that I guess were there um, that we kind of just overlooked. Um, like like what? I remember we were at her house one evening um, shortly before she took that trip and she had cut her arm and she just was kept bleeding and bleeding and bleeding like the her her skin just wasn't clotting you know or right. her blood wasn't clotting and um you know which is a, a a very very strong sign of some type of some type of blood cancer or leukemia or something like that but we just didn't really think too much of it um again when I think when the diagnosis receives then you look back and you're like oh yeah this happened and this happened and this happened but just from day to day, you're just kind of like, oh, just put a Band-Aid on it. You're fine. You know, we'll check on it tomorrow. So for her, she went to her appointment and told the doctor the same thing she told us. And he goes, no, you don't have lung cancer. You're fine. But they ran her blood test and everything. And sure enough, a week later, he calls her and says, hey, you need to come back to the clinic. Um, her blast cells, I think, were at like 24% or something super high. Okay. And um, he said her doctor, Dr. Pedroza, was a very good friend of hers for years and years. And so he said, why don't you bring one of your sons in? And so my mom was like, that's really odd. But I had played tennis with him in the past. So she was like, maybe yeah. he just wants to talk to Patrick about tennis or he <laughs> needs to schedule a lesson with him or something. Um, but sure enough, that's when he basically sat her down and said, hey, based on your charts, 
uh, it looks like you might have leukemia. I cannot give you an official diagnosis because I'm not an oncologist, but I need to refer you to an oncologist right away. And um, that was at the very end of September, 2021. Okay. And so the following week, we went to an oncologist and um, they, he was pretty confident that it wasn't leukemia. He, you know, he thought it might've been um, one of the, I mean, he went over the long, long list of different, you know, blood cancers that there are and how some are more serious than others. And he was pretty confident that it wasn't, you know, did he think it was just a different kind of cancer? I cannot remember the name of it, but it, not to say that it's lesser of, of the sure. leukemia, but um, but the survival rate is much much higher for for that one. But he and was so, sure it was cancer. Yeah, because okay. her blast cells were so high. Um, when we left the clinic that day, you know, he he had made it pretty clear to her, like, "Hey, you have cancer. You're going to need to do some type of chemo. We just don't know which one yet." Okay. And um, her bone marrow biopsies came back and. That's when we realized it was really serious because she had acute myeloid leukemia um, with a chromosome deficiency. And so within a week, she was admitted into the hospital, um, started doing chemo treatments. And um, yeah, that's kind of how the whole, for my mom, that's kind of how the whole um, ball was rolling. Okay. For my dad, I, um, my parents divorced when I was 12. So I lived with my mom. I grew up with my mom. My dad still lived here in San Antonio, but I just wasn't as close to him. Um, but, you know, we still kept in touch and things like that. So my dad called. My mom had been, she was on day three of chemo um, here in San Antonio at Methodist Hospital. And my dad calls and says, hey, you're not going to believe where I'm at. And I was like, well, what's up, dad? How are you doing? He's like, I'm not good. I came in for a checkup and they just admitted me to uh, the VA hospital, which is like right across the street from Methodist in the medical center. And I was like, well, is everything okay? Like what's wrong? He goes, no, they found a tumor. And um, he goes, I have lung cancer. And oh I was like, well, have you heard about mom? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, I can see your hospital from where I'm standing. I'm here with mom. She's getting chemo. Like she's on day three of chemo. And so he was like, there's no way, like, you know, and so it was, it was so surreal that it like literally the exact same week, both of them got admitted. Um, their diagnosis was a couple weeks off, but they literally got admitted the exact same week at different hospitals, um, you know, and, and, and began their treatments. Now their journey through cancer was very, very different between the two of them. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of how everything started. It was all within that, that month of September and October um, that my mom kind of had her initial diagnosis and started treatment. And then my dad's, when they caught it, it was very, very far along. So he got admitted, you know, essentially right away. Let's talk about your dad for a moment. What was the course of treatment for him? So initially they thought that they, um, would be able to try to like shrink the, the tumor down um, and then operate on it. That was like their uh, original kind of plan. The initial, I guess the initial uh, diagnosis he got was that, right? 
And then they brought in a specialist and the specialist pretty much sat down with his wife and said, even if we treat this, he's not going to beat it. Mm. And the specialist told her, if I operate, you can never see him again because he might not make it through the operation. And if he does make it through the operation, he probably has six months to a year. If we don't operate, he should for sure have three to six months. And that was pretty much like, you know, the way that they presented it to him and his wife was that if you do try to beat this, you might gain an additional six months of life with not necessarily good quality of life, but you'll be alive for six months longer. Um, if you don't really do any treatment, then you're kind of going to go home to hospice pretty soon. And then, you know, just be in the comfort of your home. And so, uh, they obviously did not like that news. And, um, my cousin Ryan had years ago, he was, uh, at MD Anderson for like three years cause he had Ewing sarcoma and yeah. he, he battled it for three years and beat it. And wow. so they have lots and lots of uh, connections and resources that they've maintained over the year. And so my, my dad reached out to my uncle, his father, and kind of was like, Hey, do you think you can help me get a second opinion? You know? And um, he gave him access to like his labs and all his history. And, and he ended up, he did get a second opinion and it pretty much was very similar to, um, the first one that he had received. And so my dad pretty much decided, you know what, I'm just going to, um, let everybody know in my family, like, you know, in my family, let everybody know, like, Hey, I don't have much time, but they can come and see me. And, um, which that was about the end of October, about three to four weeks after he'd been diagnosed. And so, um, he was at home for about two months, November and December, uh, before he passed early in January, but yeah, hit. That's why I was saying his his journey was very. Um, it felt very very fast. I guess you could say. Oh yeah. You know, just from one day finding out you have this cancer, and then you're in hospice probably within five weeks. If I can recall correctly, it was about that. You mentioned you have siblings, another brother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you and how did your brother feel about your dad's decision? So I think it was, it was a little difficult um, because like I mentioned, our relationship with my, when, my relationship with my mom was much, much stronger than my relationship with my dad. And so for anyone who's ever been through a divorce or had divorced parents, which is unfortunately, almost the majority of Americans nowadays. Yeah. Um, most of the time, they're, you're going to lean one way or the other, right? You're, that's usually kind of the, the route that it takes. And so my dad, as he had remarried and um, his, his wife had her own kids and they had kids. And so he kind of had like, I guess, step grandkids or whatever, you know, however that works. But he um he wanted a relationship with us right and and we made it a point to see him on birthdays or father's days or things like that but um 
I think when something like cancer steps in, you realize like a lot of this stuff doesn't matter. You know, what happened when I was 12 years old, it's, it was so long ago. Right. And so you, I think for Brent and I, it was more or less like um, we wanted to be there for him and spend that time, let him know like, Hey, we still love you no matter what has happened in the past. Like you're still our dad. We love you. Um, but it was also very difficult because it's not like we could go spend the whole day with him because our mom is in the hospital. Right. Right. So if we go and spend the whole day at his apartment, well, now my mom's sitting in the hospital room by herself all day wondering, why am I here by myself? You know? And so for us, it was more so we understood the decision that he had made because you could see he did not look like himself. My dad was always a very, um, I think he was about six foot, six one, you know, broad shouldered, big guy. And when I went to go see him, uh, my brother had told me, my brother said, you're not going to recognize him when you see him. And how long had it been since you had last seen him? Uh, before he got cancer, I had just seen him, I think on father's day. So, um, probably four months. Okay. So not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. It hadn't been that long. Um, I had just seen him on father's day. I had breakfast with him with, with my, uh, my daughter, you know, let him spend some time with her. We went to breakfast and so, yeah, I, I had just seen him probably about four months ago when I went to see him, my brother goes, you're not going to recognize him. He's, um, he weighs less than me, you know? And and so sure enough, I, you know, my dad probably weighed maybe 120, oh. you know, 120 pounds or so. My gosh. Um, yeah. And, and so when you're used to seeing him weigh 190, you know, 6'1", 190, that was probably normally about what he weighed. And then you come into the room and you see him laying on the bed. He's, you know, about 120 pounds. Looks like he can barely walk. And um, yeah, it was very, very sobersome, like to see that. And, and that was um, without undergoing chemotherapy, right? That was the disease. Oh, yeah. That was just because he had, he had stopped eating and he actually hadn't really eaten for, um, about my dad was a very stubborn guy. So (laughs) he, he didn't go to the doctor, I think for like two or three weeks, um, he he was like eating like things like applesauce or yogurt or things like that. Cause it was very difficult to swallow. It was very difficult for those things um, for, for a couple weeks before he went to the hospital. So he was just dropping weight because yeah. he, he worked as an electrician. So he's working outside in the Texas heat, you know, physical um, work. Yeah. And so uh, his wife and I think a couple of the people, guys who he worked with, uh, they had even told us at the funeral, like, yeah, we kept telling your dad every day, like, man, you need to go to the doctor, you need to go to the doctor. Um, and finally, you know, he was like, okay, I'm gonna go get checked out. Uh, but yeah, by the time I saw him, he he was down probably 60, 70 pounds. And, um, and so for, I think, seeing him in that state, I understood his decision of, you know, nobody knows your body more than you do. And I think he understood how weak he was. Yeah. Um, and I, 
what he did was he took that opportunity to spend as much time and right as many wrongs as he could, which a lot of people don't get that opportunity, you know, and that's kind of what he just kept telling us was, I feel like, you know, based on the decisions I've made in my life, God has given me this opportunity that most people don't get who've lived the life that I've lived is kind of, that was like his, um, I guess, outlook on it. And, you know, to, to my brother and I, my brother's a pastor. So he's, you know, very, he's very wise. He has, you know, knows the right things to say. And he was able to kind of pray with my dad and, you know, help him. So he was at ease. And, you know, I think seeing that it kind of helped everybody around um, just be at ease with his decision, especially when, you know, like I said before, like when the passing is, is that quick, it, it helps when people, everybody's on the same page, I guess you can say. Yeah. How old was your dad when he died? He was born in 56. So I think he was uh, 64 or 65. Okay. His birthday was December 31st because we celebrated his birthday. We went over there to the house and uh, threw him a little birthday party in his room yeah his brother came down um and so that was on the 31st about a week before he passed but i i believe he turned either 65 or 66 okay and that birthday yeah okay okay oh gosh i'm just so i'm so sorry i'm glad you were able to be there with him and for him tell us about your mom because you said her experience is very different. She had a very different kind of cancer. She's in the yeah. hospital with that first round of chemotherapy. What was the the plan, the treatment plan for her? So my mom was, uh, she was a very, very independent, strong woman. You know, she, like I said, my parents divorced when I was 12. She raised two boys, never remarried. Um, you know, she was, she was at a bit, she was a business owner very much so like, okay, let's get this done. I got plans. That was kind of her, like all the doctors kind of, they knew Bridget, all the doctors (laughs) in the hospital knew Bridget because she was always like, what's the plan? When am I getting out of here? Um, She knew it was serious, but that was just the way that, you know, her mind worked. And so when she was doing chemo, she kept telling doctors, I need to be out of here by November because we go to the lake. That's what our family does. And we have this tradition ever since I was, I think, 11, we would go to Lake LBJ, which is about two hours north of here, um, go stay at a nice cabin on the lake and have Thanksgiving. What we, it's kind of just our family tradition, right? And so she was like, we have, I got to get out of here. I'm not eating hospital food for Thanksgiving. And um, so they go, okay, well, we're going to do a very aggressive round of chemo, try to kill off all these last cells and we'll get you get you out of here so everybody was like okay sounds great they got her going on chemo and you know chemo is uh it's a blessing but it is a terrible thing to watch somebody go through it because it it makes them completely unrecognizable you know they basically is killing them and so all of her numbers started coming down Um, even the ones that really weren't supposed to because of the the, the strength of that they had her on. 
but her doctors were pretty confident. Hey, if we just, if we're aggressive with this round, we'll do a bone marrow biopsy. It should come back that it's negative and then you'll be in remission. And then we'll look for a bone marrow or a, like a donor, okay, a stem cell donor. So that was the goal is to find that was the goal. Okay. Yeah. And so first round of chemo, they finish it up. We're like, okay, when's the bone marrow biopsy? They do the biopsy. Blast cells had doubled. Oh. So we're like, okay, that's not good news. No. Like, this is not what we're planning to hear. And um, so Dr. Shaughnessy, who was the head oncologist of her team, he basically reassessed her numbers, reassessed everything and said, you know what, why don't we try you on this other chemo? It's just an oral pill that you take. You can take it at home and you'll just need to come into the clinic three or four times a week so we can monitor you, but you don't need to stay in the hospital. Okay. So it kind of was like a win-loss situation because at least she was getting to get out of the hospital and she was going to try a different form of chemo, right? Um, rather than doing the IV treatment. And so they started her on that chemo. We got to go to the lake, you know, um, and, and do those things. And then sure enough, she got her bone marrow biopsy, uh, I believe like two months after being on that chemo and the leukemia was gone. It was down to like less than 1%. So we're like, awesome. Let's go celebrate. You know, they told her you're in remission. We're going to find you a donor. And, um, and so that was like the, that was basically the, at the beginning of 2022, that was kind of the, the census was that my dad had just passed, but my mom was going to beat it. That, that was pretty much what it looked like. And so okay. they found, they found her a donor in Germany. I'm taking, they tested you and your brother. No, they actually, um, they did not want to use, um, they didn't want to use us because my, so my grandma actually passed from the exact same leukemia with the exact same chromosome deficiency oh, as my, my mom. Goodness. Wow. Yeah. Literally okay. her blood, like blood work and everything was the exact same. She passed when she was, I believe, 70, I want to say 76. She was a little bit older. So they um, were concerned 50, that you would have the same. Yeah. So yeah. they didn't want to use us just because of the fear of a stronger chance of relapse. Sure. Um, okay. That makes you know, total one of sense. Us. So they found, they did find it was a hundred percent match um, in Germany. And so they scheduled the transplant and um, which was it's funny, like in my mind, I thought like she's going to go into surgery, you know, and all this stuff. I used to think that too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing how they 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 pretty much just have them frozen right there in nitrogen. And then they yeah. just kind of thaw out the, it looks like super thick blood, basically. It's really anticlimactic, it, isn't it? Just yeah, a little bit. Yeah. You're like, this is the, this is the trick. What? Yeah. <laughs> my mom was like, we... I had to do all this for this, you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> she, she got the transplant. I believe it was March 13th, okay. um, got her transplant. You know, they told her that's your new birthday. And how had um, she been feeling from the time, from the time she, so before she went know? into the hospital, she was great. 
Okay. But when they do those transplants, they knock all your numbers down. Right. They knock out your entire immune system. Yeah. So I think she did seven days of super, super strong chemo. Um, and, and then they gave her the transplant, but before she went to the hospital, I mean, she was walking on her own two feet. She was, you know, kind of getting back to somewhat, she was able to go back to church a couple of times, which was huge for her and see some of her friends, things like that. Um, and so again, like her doctors had told her, once you get the transplant, we have to wait a hundred days. And then once you hit a hundred days, we can start giving you, um, like your, uh, vaccines or, you know, you, you literally have to get like every shot all over again from when you're a kid. Right. And, um, and so she got her transplant and they just, you know, started counting. I think she got out of the hospital about two weeks after the transplant, she was recovered enough and body was strong enough. She got to go home. And then at that point it was just, we were going into clinic once a week, you know, just so they could check up on her. And we got to, you know, 50 days and we're like, oh, wow, we're at 50 days. This is awesome. 75 days. We're three quarters of the way there. And we got to, I believe it was 94 days. We're right around 94 days. And my mom's uh, oxygen levels just randomly started getting really, really low. Okay. And um, my brother took her to the ER. They were like, yeah, this isn't right. So they admitted her. Turned out that she had uh, contracted a CMV virus, um, I guess, which is common uh, in, in those transplant patients. And so it's, it's a type of stomach virus that pretty much, from what they explained to me, everybody has it, but normally our bodies suppress it. Mm. Uh, but because her immune system was so compromised, it kind of like ran rapid. And so she uh, got put into the hospital so they could treat that virus. And while she was in the hospital, um, they overloaded her on fluids on accident one evening, which then um, the fluids developed into pneumonia. And oh yeah, and the pneumonia uh just kind of never went away. And so she, she ended up, they ended up beating that virus and they were trying to treat the pneumonia, but they were like, you know what, you can go home. We'll just treat the pneumonia from home. But the problem was she was having a hard time breathing. And so she went home, I think for two or three days and then her oxygen levels were back down into the eighties. So we took her back into the ER um, she ended up getting admitted into the ICU um, where they, you know, had to put on oxygen. And that's kind of, that was in July. And that's kind of when um, a lot of the confusion came into play because in our minds, we we're like, okay, well, she's done with leukemia. We just got to right. beat this pneumonia now. And that was the focus of all the doctors. Everybody was like, we just got to beat the, the pneumonia. But a lot of the antibiotics and things that they were giving her weren't working. And so Shaughnessy sat down with us and said, hey, I'm concerned. There's no reason your leukemia should be back. 
but the fact that your body is not beating this is alarming. And so he's like, I do need to order a a bone marrow biopsy. And we were like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, let's see what's up. And so sure enough, he ordered the biopsy and it came back like, you know, um, I guess the worst possible case scenario that her, she had had a complete relapse, her, you know, blast cells were higher than they had ever been. And um, which, which was pretty much why her body couldn't beat the, you know, pneumonia. And so that's kind of when he sat down with the family and said, Hey, okay, we, you guys got to make a decision here. Um, because the problem was the, the pneumonia had made my mom so weak that she couldn't really do any more chemo. Right. Um, but if she didn't do chemo, then the leukemia was pretty much just going to run rapid and take over. What and was your mom's feeling about all of this? So when we had that meeting with Shaughnessy, um, it was my mom, her breast, her best friend, Marcy came to the hospital. Um, and then it was myself and my wife, my brother and his wife, we all were there in the hospital room. And she pretty much told the doctor, do not sugarcoat it. Like, I, like, if, if this is terminal, I want to know if it's terminal. Like, I don't, I don't want you to sugarcoat it. Mm -hmm. And so he basically was very honest. He told her, if I give you chemotherapy, you could die within the week because I don't think your body's strong enough. Yeah. Um, He said, you should go home on hospice care. You probably have at least two to three months and spend time with your friends, family. And, you know, that was his best advice. And so my mom initially, you know, um, she was like, okay, like, okay. And she literally just started calling friends and family and saying, I'm going home to see Jesus. I have two to three months left to live. I love you. And that was kind of like, that was her way of coping with it in a sense. Yeah. And so my brother and I were, you know, making the hospice arrangements and dealing with that side of things, um, which was a total nightmare, unfortunately. But um, we eventually got my mom home, got her comfortable. And um, I think once she was home and in her own bed, that's kind of when reality set in for her. Um, and you could tell it was day to day. It was much different, you know, for her, the number one thing she said was, I want to go to the lake. Like we need to get to the lake one more time as a family. And, um, and we scheduled that out. And, um, but yeah, for her, like day to day at that point, you could tell it was, she really just wanted to be around her grandkids, you know? Um, and she, she had accepted it, but at the same time, anytime she talked to somebody or somebody from church or things like that, she would just tell people like, just pray for more time. That's really all I'm praying for is pray for more time or pray for us to make it to the lake, you know? Um, because that was kind of like her, I guess, last wish in a sense. But yeah, that, that was kind of her, I guess the way that she coped with the initial news was just setting that goal of making it to the lake um, you know, to, 
Did you make it to the lake? We did. Yeah, oh, we good. did. So we, uh, thanks, thanks to Dr. Pedroza. He, uh, he had called and I asked him, I said, okay, I know what the doctor said. I need you to be even more honest with me. <laughs> and I said, this is the dates I have the lake booked for. Do I need to scoot it up? And he, he told me, he goes, you do. Okay. He's like, based on your mom's numbers, you need to scoot that up at least a week um, just to be safe. And so we kind of changed our plans, moved everything around. And um, we were able to go. I don't remember the exact dates that we went. I think it was um, like August 12th through the 14th. Um, my mom, when we got to the lake was... I mean, she was like, let's go take pictures, you know, and she was in a wheelchair at the time. She couldn't, you know, very little energy, but she's like, push me over here, push me down the lake or push me, you know. Um, but by the second, probably third day, we, uh, we actually ended up leaving the lake a day early because you could just see the, you know, kind of rapid, um, yeah. rapid decline that was happening. And so we ended up leaving the lake a day early. And um, I called called her brother who lives in California, let him know. And her best friend, Marcy, she came over to the house that night. Um, Mark and Richard made it the following day. And then she passed the, the following day. So she, she did make able, it to the lake. She was able to be at home. Yeah. 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 Wow. So we knew she was close because my mom would never leave the lake early. Yeah. <laughs> You know, she was like, when my brother suggested it, he was like, do you, are you, you want to head home? You look, you look like you're really, really tired. And she was like, yeah, I think it's best. We'll probably just head home. Um, we kind of knew like, okay, she's, she probably doesn't have too, too much time left. And so that was, I think, August 14th. And then again, she passed um, the morning of the 16th, about a day and a half later. And how old was your mom? She was 59. Yeah, she was 59. So sorry. Oh, my goodness. So, Patrick, let's do your dad first. If you could hold on to one memory with your dad forever, what would it be and why? Um, I think I... Uh... I told us, I told a story at his memorial service and my dad, um, God bless him, but he was terrible with money, <laughs> he was, you know, just in one pocket out the other. Um, he, he had a very bad smoking habit for years and years and years. And, um, and so when my parents were married, my mom handled all the finances, you know, and it was one of those where like, here's your allowance, yeah. um, ah. you know, for whatever. And so I told a story about, we went to Albertsons one time. I was probably six, seven years old, or I might've been even a little younger, but um, my mom had given him like a 20 with a little list of things to get. And, um, you know, we're getting milk, eggs, bread, whatever. And so we're at the shop out, like checkout stand and um my dad's like hey i think i have a little bit left over if you want to get you know get something you know how they have the little candy or whatever sure and so i don't think they sell them anymore but mrs baird's used to have those like apple pies um 
they had like the cherry pies, apple pies, lemon pies, um, little frosted ones. And so I love the apple ones. So I was like, can I get, you know, the apple pie was like a dollar, dollar, probably even cheaper back then. And, um, so he's like, okay, you can get it, but don't tell your mom. Yeah. So I get it. Right. And, um, he's like, all right, hurry up and eat it in the car before we get home. And so I, I eat it and we get home. And so we're unloading the groceries and my dad hands my mom the change. And then, uh, she's like, okay, like everybody sit down, dinner's ready. And of course I'm, <laughs> you know, five, six years old. So I like, oh, I'm not hungry. I just <laughs> ate, you know, just ate apple pie in the car. And, you know, my dad just looks at me like, are you kidding? Yeah. You know? um, but I, you know, I, I told that story because the thing about my dad was he, even when he didn't have the money to do it, he would give it away, you know? Um, and unfortunately in his life, some people took advantage of that. But for me as his kid and seeing that, you know, I, it's something that I always held on to because um even even as i got older and um you know had my had my own business or had things going for me my dad would still ask hey how are you doing or do you need anything even though he like even though if i did need it he probably didn't have it to give it to me it was just that's just you know he tried to um you know, he tried to carry that on because I was his son, you know, or my brother was his son. And so that's kind of, for me, I, um, my happiest memories were those early years of childhood, you know, of course, as I got older, you know, my parents had their divorce and things like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, you know, like I mentioned at his service was the, the memories I will cherish and hold on to are those early years of, you know, playing catch or playing basketball or doing those things. Um, Let's circle back to your your mom. That's all right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, Same question. So if you could only hold on to one memory of your mom forever, what would it be and why? So with my mom, it's very difficult because she, um, my mom was a travel agent and she took us. Cool. Yeah, That's really cool. <laughs> All over. Um, I mean, we we've been to Asia, we've been to Africa, we've been to you know uh, South America, we've been to all these different places with her because she loved travel and adventure. And so, to pinpoint it down to like one single memory is very very difficult. But I think what the one thing I will hold on to the most is just all the experiences. Um, all the places that we traveled together, she took us to, um, if there's one memory that's consistent, it would be anywhere in the world that we went. My mom wanted to see the sunrise, whether, really? I mean, whether we were in Africa, whether we were in Cancun or Canada, she, she would wake us up <laughs> like, I mean, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning. And she's like, get up, get up, get up, guy, take a picture. And she would drag us outside and it didn't matter if we were on a beach. It didn't matter if we were on in the mountains with snow, we were going to take a picture at sunrise, you know? And so I think that's the one thing, one consistent memory I'll always have is no matter where 
no matter where we were in the world, I think almost every single place we have a picture together. That's cool. Um, like I you hope know, you can I, put all those photos together, right? All those I sunrises. know. I've been. Tr- I really have been trying. Um, Cause I mean, we literally have, we have pictures in China. We have pictures in um, all these different places That's neat. that uh, yeah, we've been trying to like gather and go through them and, you know, kind of put it together. But yeah, that for me, that's one thing I always hold on to um, because even, you know, even nowadays here, it's one thing that like triggers a memory for me is I, I see the sunrise or I see the sunset, um, you know, every day. And so it, it's kind of a constant, I guess, reminder for me or a constant, you know, kind of something that I can hold on to and cherish. Um, all right. Are you ready? We're going to lighten things up for the Thriver Rapid Fire. Yes. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Uh, Beach Boys. What is one word that best describes you? Ambitious. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? I would say, actually, it's a church song. I would say, well done. Okay. The last meal you want to eat? Pasta. Last person or people you want to see? My wife and kids. And the last words you will speak. Uh, Thank you. And aside from Cancer You, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I'd love for you to tell people about how they can get in touch with you and what you're doing. So I think um, the one thing I learned is there is a huge community out there of support, of um, all kinds of different programs, things like that out there. Um, like what I started with one of my best friends, Gamaro, uh, Life Approach, our whole goal is to um, locally here, you know, we're, we're planning to do like fundraisers, events, things like that um, for uh, people like us, right, who've had family members go through cancer, people who are going through cancer, things like that. Um, we want to be able to raise funds to donate to cancer research or even just help. Um, maybe there's local families who are struggling. Um, I read a very sad statistic. I, I think it said like three in every five families who have a child with cancer or maybe it's two in every five filed bankruptcy just because of the overwhelming, um, you know, overwhelming thing of, uh, I know personally we have a stack probably, I don't know if you see my camera. We have a stack probably about a foot, two feet high of, of uh, medical bills, right? That, um, and my mom, uh, my mom battled cancer for less than a year. There's yeah. people who battle cancer for three years, five years, mm-hmm. 10 years, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I encourage anybody, um, the, the people who have reached out to me on social media, I tell them, I'm not there yet. Like I, we just started this brand. Um, and so unfortunately I'm not in a position yet to, to, um, help families. Hopefully within a year or two, uh, we'll have the rep- recognition or reputation to be able to do that. But 
I just encourage people, there are resources out there to reach out to, um, whether it's through the hospital, whether it's through um, these other organizations. I know most hospitals have counselors or they have people like that who have spoken to dozens of families that have gone through what you're more than likely going through, right? And so it can be uncomfortable at first, for sure. Right. Um, but those people who maybe aren't lucky enough to have a, a great support system up front, just to know, like, you don't have to go through this by yourself. There's, um, there's still wonderful people in the world, right, that are, that are more than happy to try to help in any way that they can, even if it's just words of encouragement um, that you might need to hear that day. And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, easiest way to get in touch with me is if you have uh, Instagram, our um, page is Life Approach Clothing. So that would be our business page. You can uh, DM me on there. Or my um, Instagram is Pat underscore Harris 94. So okay. anybody can message me on there. I, I try to check, check it at least once a, once a day. Um, but yeah, recently, you know, uh, we, I have, I've set up some appointments here locally in San Antonio um, with some great people. Um, we plan to do some events and stuff, but if anybody outside of the city or anywhere is looking just to get in touch or hear more, absolutely. They can just shoot me a message there. If not, um, you can email me as well at lifeapproachathletic at gmail.com. Okay. You'll put all that in the workshop and the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your family's story. Really. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. I'm, you know, it was, uh, this is the first podcast interview I've done, but it was fun. It really, it is. Yeah. I'm honored. There you go. (laughs) I took, I, we, we had some, we had some that we had lined up, um, but I, I took a little bit of time, obviously took some time away. Of course. Um, and so, yeah, this, this month is kind of the first month that I've kind of gotten back to answering some emails and, and things like that. So yeah, you're the first one, first interview. Well, so. thank you. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.